All right. Well, you can open your Bibles to Revelation 21. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this, to getting here. Uh, and it was, it was a wonderful study. And uh, today we are going to, again, I just feel like this is happening more and more often. And I know it's the Lord, and I know His Word, it just, it's, it's sufficient, it works together. But I feel like every week Shane's, like, I'm in there taking notes going, I need to repeat that in my class. Like, I mean, everything he's, like last week, you know, he talked about uh, that all men will give account. You know, there's going to come a day of judgment, and that's exactly, I mean, we were talking about about that day. And then today, we see the transfiguration, we see the, a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ, a preview of the coming kingdom, and that's exactly what we're talking about today. Uh, so it's just, uh, it's just really great. So I just love how the Lord does that. Um, so really, I mean, everything Shane just said, let's just keep going, and uh, we're going to see a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth. Um, you know, the millennial kingdom that we already talked about, when Christ reigns on earth for a thousand years in peace and righteousness and justice and all that, we see him in his glory and the, uh, the you know, what, what there was a, a preview of uh, on Mount Hermon at the Transfiguration. We've kind of looked at a thousand years of Christ reigning on earth, but we even call that a glimpse because that is just the beginning of eternity. Eternal things where Christ rules and reigns forever, where God is all in all, where all their sin is done away with, death is done away with, Satan is cast in the lake of fire. And that's where we're at today. We just made it through Revelation 20. If you're new, if this is your first time, I mean, we're diving in at the, uh, the end of everything that you understand and, and know, the end of, uh, of, of, of the first earth and all that. And now we're the last two chapters of the Bible, and we're talking about the new heavens and the new earth. But what we have looked through in here, and I, I didn't do a whole review today, uh, but we, um, we've looked at um, uh, Christ returning, uh, him, uh, you know, Armageddon and him judging all those or, or, or wiping out all of those who've come to fight against him, him establishing himself as king, all who belong to him coming and ruling reign with him for a thousand years. Um, uh, during that time, we talked about the you know Satan being bound in hell, uh, has no influence over the nations or anything like that. So it's a time of peace and righteousness and justice. You have um, the, the basically worldwide adherence to Christ as king, worshiping him uh, and um, coming before him as as ruler and Messiah. But many of those during that time, uh, it's not a, a true faith. We talked about during that time, that thousand years, they still have to be saved by grace through faith in the same way that we have to. Um, we talked about the millennial temple and all that. And so um, at the end of the thousand years, it says Satan is released. Uh, he goes out to deceive the nations one last time, and there's the final war. Uh, but at many, many follow after, many are deceived by him. Um, and it says that God rains down fire from heaven, uh, destroys uh, all those who have come out in that final revolt against Christ and against God. Satan is cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And then we have the great white throne of judgment where all unbelievers are raised from the dead and they stand before God and they're judged according to their deeds and their names are all missing from the Lamb's book of life. And now they've all been cast into the eternal lake of fire along with in the past, you know, uh, Antichrist, false prophet in the past, Satan, uh, now death, Hades, and all unbelievers. And, um, and it, was, it was hard. That was a hard message. It's sad, especially this side of it. And, uh, uh, but it is also the redemption of creation. It's, there is no more sin. There is no more death. There's no more pain, no more trials, no more sorrow. Uh, there's no more deception. Uh, there's no more, there's, um, uh, no more hell. And, uh, and, and from this point forward, we have all things made new, made fresh. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So as, as awful as that day is, as sad as that day is, as terrifying as that day is, that day ushers in eternal life and eternal peace and eternal perfection where Jesus Christ reigns, where God reigns, where he is all in all, and where there is no more return to anything of the past. Even, And we'll talk about that today. Even the effects of the curse on this earth now are completely burned off, and you have a new heavens and a new earth. So that's where we're at today, and we are in Revelation 21. Like I said, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 today. And uh, I just thought this was neat. You know, the name of our class is Sojourners. We're the Sojourners, right? And I just feel like today we are done with the sojourning and we're getting to see a glimpse of home. You know, this is, this is what we're looking forward to. This is what we are living for. And this is the hope of all believers. Now, you know it's easy to get our eyes off of these things. It's easy to get fixed on this world and to sometimes try to make our home here, sometimes try to find our comfort and our peace here. Sometimes, you know, we get 
consumed with things of this world, or even, even just uh, depressed and despondent about the evil of this world, whatever it may be. Uh, but, but we need things like this all the time. We get to get our focus off of us, off of this world, off of the, the things around us, and on Christ and on eternal things. And again, when our focus is right, then we know how to live rightly in this world. Um, and so I think that's what today is going to be. But like I said, sin is gone, Satan is gone, death is gone, Hades is gone, uh, heaven and earth are gone. We'll talk about that in a second. Creation as we understand it and have experienced it is completely finished. And everything that scripture is sufficient for is complete. I mean, think about that. All the word of God was given to us for outside of what we're going to talk about today is, is done and complete and finished. Um, and, uh, and, and the Lord has done everything that he has sworn uh, that he would do. Christ has fulfilled everything that he has revealed when it comes to, you know, his return, playing out the covenants, the, the whole kingdom. All of that has been accomplished. Sin is done away with. Death is done away with. He is fully victorious. It is finished. And we're going to see God say that today. It is finished. It's done. It's complete. Uh, and um, and uh, everything that he says uh, will be done. Uh, and actually, I, I thought of this. As I was doing the study, I kept thinking of these words, you know, because heavens and the heavens and the earth have passed away at this point. We talked about that last week, and we'll talk about that again today. Um, and he still remains, just like he says. You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus uh, told um, uh, all those who were listening, but the disciples in particular, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You know, we always think about that as being a fulfillment of the sacrifices and the things in the temple and all that. And Christ was the perfect sacrifice. He's the great high priest, all of that. But, but it continues on until this moment. He, he will fulfill and accomplish all things. He didn't come to erase or change or anything like that. He is the one that fulfills all things. And he says, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And again, you can look at that as... Uh, in some sense, poetic, hyperbolic, just saying, basically, as long as created order is around, my word's going to stand. But today, in this study, you can see, I mean, now heaven and earth have passed away. And it is complete. I mean, he, he, we, this is, uh, there's a literal fulfillment, uh, even in this, that, that he will accomplish everything that is said in the word. Um, and, uh, and then we will be together with the word in all eternity. And then again, he says this over and over, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What he says will stand for all eternity. And again, we're looking at heaven and earth passing away, and there is the word of God standing firm and strong. Everything he says is fulfilled, and everything that he is meant to accomplish from that point forward in eternity will be done, and we will be together with him. So I don't know. Those those words become very different in this setting, you know, Uh, because heaven and earth have passed away. And now we get this fleeting glimpse, like Shane said, a preview, a trailer of eternal things. And there's not much. It is a two and a half minute preview, like he said. This is a trailer. I mean, you talk about, like, think about, you know, we always talk about the Bible being sufficient, having everything we need to know in this life for life and godliness to know Christ or repent of sin. I mean, it's, it's sufficient. But it's such a small book to, to help us comprehend the, the vastness and the greatness of God, his character, his will, all of his plans, you know, I mean, and, but it's sufficient. But then you think about this. We have two little chapters, really a chapter and a half, tagged onto the very end that give us just this tiny little glimpse of forever. I mean, forever. All things beyond that point. And I think it's just a preview because, first thing, this is, this is all we need on this side of heaven. Um, but for the rest of the eternity, we'll be together with the living word. With, it's going to be completely different circumstances. It's going to be completely different I don't know if there'll be more scripture or if it's just him. And we, I mean, we do know that we will know him like he knows us, that we'll know things in a different way. I mean, there's going to be a transformation of body, mind, spirit, everything, you know. But, but again, it's like this is a little glimpse. And I think it's meant, like I said earlier, for us to have a, it's just a glimpse of home. This is a reminder of where we belong if you belong to Christ and where we will be if you belong to Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's a call. It's one last call for all those who are living in sin or are living in hypocrisy to repent because there will be no hypocrites and no sin in this kingdom. So it's a, it's a call to repent, but it's also a call to, like, do you see what you are trading, uh, uh, whatever it is that, that is, is holding your, your mind and your heart and your allegiance in this life to this world and to the kingdom of Satan, is it worth, is that thing worth what we're going to talk about today? Trading eternal life together with Christ in a sinless and perfect creation for what? 
for, for pleasures, for money, uh, for, for some tiny little snippet that doesn't even deliver in this life and will keep you from all of this. So those are the things that we need to, to remember today. But let's read together, and then we'll dive into this and, and see what the new heavens and the new earth are like, according to our Lord. All right, so Revelation 21, Revelation 21 uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 today. So John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. I lost my place. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. That's awesome. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the, springs, uh, from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So like I said, these are some wonderful words of hope, wonderful words of relief and comfort, uh, but they come with a very, very, very big warning at the very end. And there's going to be one more warning before we close Scripture. But this is what we're going to do today, and this is how we're going to break it up. Uh, we're going to look at the new heaven and earth, uh, and we're going to look at, in verse 1, the new creation itself, verse 2, the new city, uh, in verse 3, the new communion with God. In verse 4 through the beginning of 6, the new conditions on this new earth. And then in verses, the last half of 6 through 9, we're going to look at the new citizens that will be a part of this uh, city and of uh, this new creation. So this whole thing starts out with our final, in this progression, our final Kai Adon. We talked about this. Uh, throughout Revelation, uh, John has used uh, these words to basically... Take, it, it's almost like this takes us to the next scene, and then it takes us to the next scene, to the next scene. And it's a chronological sequence of events from the time that Jesus opens the first seal all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. This has gone throughout Revelation. We've seen it uh, at least 24 times throughout Revelation that just shows that progression of judgment, of the return of Christ, of the millennial kingdom, of the uh, final judgment, and now the new heavens and the new earth. And recently, we talked about the eight that, that stretch from Revelation 19.11 to Revelation 21 uh, that show that chronological progression of the return of Christ all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. And here we are at the new heavens and the new earth. So this is the, the final scene um, and uh, this is where Christ returns. All the, we've already talked about all the things that have been done. There is no more sin. There's no more judgment. Uh, he returns here. Uh, and, and John says here that he sees a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. There's no longer any sea. When he talks about a new heaven, a new earth, in fact, every time he talks about something new here, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not talking about new in the sense of, uh, it was um, not like a chronological sequence new, but uh, uh, it's, it's a qualitative sense. This is a new, a fresh, a completely, it's something that did not exist before. It was previously unknown. Let me say it that way. Um, and now it is new and it is refreshed, revived, renewed. Uh, think about like when God created in Genesis 1 2, he made everything very good and then sin was introduced and everything in the middle was not very good in the sense of that sin was a part of it. And now he is making Everything very good again. It is new, and it is it has been made new. Um, MacArthur, in his commentary, says it this way: 
He says, uh, kainos, that's the word that we talk about here, new. Uh, it does not mean new in a chronological sense, but new in a qualitative sense. The new heaven and new earth will not merely succeed the present universe. So it's not just, there's the old one, now here's the new one. It's not a, a time thing. Um, it, there, uh, there will be something brand new, fresh, never before seen. The, the, the best uh, preview of that would have been, like I said, Genesis 1 and 2, Eden and the way that God made all things at the very beginning. Uh, but this is new even compared to that uh, from the way it looks in Scripture. This is a new heaven, a new earth, because the first heaven and earth have passed away. Uh, this has been referenced before in the Old Testament in Isaiah 66, or 65, 66, and Psalm 102. The Lord talks about this as he talks about the whole future. And if you go back and you read these, you see millennial kingdom stuff mixed in with this new heavens and new earth stuff. And we talked about that, how prophets in the past are just looking for it. They're saying all this is coming. But then Revelation gives us time sequences and lets us see there's a thousand years between uh, Christ's return and then the new heavens and the new earth, things like that. But in Isaiah 65, God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So that's part of, of what is going on here. All things in the past will be completely gone and forgotten. Isaiah 66, 22, For just as the new heavens and the new earth, um, uh, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. Again, just reiterating the promises of God, the things that he swore to Abraham and the new covenant and the um, Abrahamic covenant, new covenant, Davidic covenant, all those things in the past. Not only do they have fulfillment in the millennial kingdom, but they have eternal, eternal promises attached to them. And then in Psalm 102, uh, of old you found the earth and the heavens are the work of hands, even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear it like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. And we talked about that last week. What the new, what the passing away of the old means, and what the new heavens and the new earth are. And he says that here. He says, I saw a new heavens and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, of which we exist on right now, understand and experience, it says they have passed away. And again, last week, we talked about uh, the word, it says they, they fled or they disappeared or they vanished. Uh, and we talked about that. It's an end of the current created order. That, you know, in, in the great white throne judgment, it says heaven and earth vanished. They passed away. And it was just those who stand in judgment and God. And that was a terrifying scene. And so here, uh, it's a different verb. And this word means to, to basically depart or to cease from being or to go away. Um, but the whole point is there is a complete disappearance or a renovation or a transformation of the old. Uh, both bibli- concepts are biblical. I don't know, you know, when, when I walked into these verses, I was of the mindset that he would regenerate, renew. We talked about that last week. Like he would take the old, burn it, purge it with fire. It would be changed where there's no trace of death or anything like that. And he'll take the, the, the old substance and make it new. Which I think is still, I mean, I'm still kind of there, but there are things in the Bible that talk about annihilation of the old. I mean, it's, it's um, let me just throw some stuff up here, and I'll leave you hanging. <laughs> because, like, I don't know if we can definitively say there will be either an uncreation and a recreation, or we can definitively say it's just a transformation. But I think both have weight, and you just let him say what he says. But what we know is this. The old, we know for sure, has passed away. It has ceased to be, there is no more. We know that the old will be, uh, well, uh, you know, using his words, it will be um, restored. We know that it will be freed from the bondage of sin. So I think the best thing is just to read what he says about the passing of the old, the coming of the new, and then just go, man, that's going to be crazy to see. Uh, but he says this in Romans. This is, these are the two that, to me, just have such weight that makes me feel like it's not, it's not like the, the, the matter and the substance and it's all just disappears and there's a new. But he says, The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it. So creation itself, it's not just the redemption of the people of God, but all of creation longs for the revealing of the sons of God so that God will relieve creation itself from the the, the, the curse of sin is basically what Paul's saying here. He says, in hope that creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So all of creation longs for the return of Christ. All of creation longs for the new heaven and new earth. And again, that's something that's always been in my mind, that, that all of creation is longing for redemption and transformation and the 
regeneration and the renewing uh, uh, that, that comes through Christ and through God so that all things are new, fresh, perfect, no more sin, you know? And so, again, that's the one that is so hard for me to say it's all gone because it's like, even us, I mean, we are, we have, we will be a new creation. We will be new in Christ. We will have a new body. We'll be completely new, but we will still, in some sense, be us. It's not a, you know, a totally, like, new being in the sense it's still me, but new. And I feel like it's the same thing with creation. But to keep moving, Acts 3 says, He may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, this is Peter talking, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Again, I just feel like you're looking at these and you got restoration. Uh, you got the freedom of corruption. Uh, he's going to do something to creation. But then you got the, the, on the other side, the disappearance and replacement uh, theory, uh, completely disregarded, completely gone, completely recreated. You got, some, you got some things to wrestle with here. Psalm 102, we just read that. They will perish. Uh, they will wear out like a garment. You will change them. You could, I, I don't know what change in the Hebrew there is signifying, but like there's a perishing and a wearing out. Isaiah 34 takes it, I think, even deeper. It says, uh, all the hosts of heaven will wear away. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. Their hosts will also wither away as the leaf withers, uh, as one withers from the fig tree. Um, these are things he talks about when we're talking about this time. Uh, Isaiah 51, lift up your eyes to the sky and look. The earth beneath, the sky will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear away like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. Again, that's what we talked about last week. But my salvation will be forevermore. My righteousness will not wane. And again, all those verses we already referenced in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, and then, I don't know, the biggest one is Second Peter. Second Peter, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away. And then he describes what the passing away looks like with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. You know, we talked about that last week. Of course, he has to destroy the earth. He has to, you think about all the foundational layers of the earth that have all the dead things in it, the fossils and the shells and all that that show, that reveal the first destruction of the earth by the flood. I mean, that's got to be gone. You talk about the foundation. I mean, you look at what we're going to see next week in the, at least the city and the foundation stones are sapphire and jasper and all this stuff. I mean, it's it's a different planet for sure. Um, But... You know, again, I mean, there's, there's going to be fire. There's going to be passing away. The elements will be destroyed. The earth and its works will be burned up. Again, I mean, there it is. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people should you be holy in conduct and godliness? Um, the heavens will be destroyed by burning. The elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we're looking for the new heavens and the new earth, which we're talking about today, in which righteousness dwells. So I feel like the Lord has been very clear in what he's going to do. And the lack of complete understanding or just going, this is exactly what, I mean, I just think you just let him say what he says and let's just fight. and re- We know what he says will happen. It will pass away. Intense heat will burn it up. The elements will be destroyed. Uh, but there will be a regeneration or like he says in Romans, a freedom from the curse for the creation, a restoration of all things. And then, you know, so that's it. So the heaven and the earth that we understand have passed away. Um, there is a new heaven and a new earth. And then he says, the last little part here is, it's kind of, you just look at it and you say, well, that's what it's going to be like. There is no longer any sea. You know, I, I remember, uh, you know, I used to surf in California. I loved it. I loved the ocean. Uh, don't like going to the mountains. Could care less. Just want, I want to be at the ocean every vacation. That's hard to read. <laughs> but <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And, you know, so surfing is gone. But... It will be better than I can imagine, I'm sure. So, you think about this. Three quarters of our earth is covered in water. Uh, we're not told why, but there is no sea and there is no ocean. We do know that. Uh, there's been many theories on why there's no sea and no ocean. The Lord doesn't tell us, so it doesn't matter what our theories are. I mean, it's just not going to be there and it's perfect. But, you know, um, some people say it's because the oceans separate the nations, the languages and all that, and we'll be together in one, one nation. kind. there'll be nations there. You see that. We'll see that next week. Um, but there's no separation Others, I, I read, and I thought this was a good uh, thought. You know, they say, you know, the, the, er, the Lord destroyed the earth with the water at the first judgment, right? And so possibly the seas were created purposely for the first judgment. Not that that's the only thing they're created for. They're create, I mean, there's lots of blessings and goodness from the oceans and the sea and all that. Um, others have theories that there's no, 
need for water because we'll have transformed bodies. You know, 90% of our bodies made of water and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, again, people get into all these different theories on why there's a sea. The answer is, I, we don't know. We don't know. This is all he said. And so, but there's no sea. We do know that. So no, no more sea, no more surfing. Uh, and looks like no more, <laughs> no more sun and moon if you look at Re- uh, Revelation 21, verse 3. Let's move on. All right. The new city. <laughs> so there's your new earth, your new heavens and your new earth. And now we got the new city. And this is, this is amazing. And this is just a preview of what we're going to see more next week. He says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city here, the holiness is the key characteristic of the city. The, the residents of this city are holy. Everything about this city is holy. This is a city set apart for God. This is his holy and perfect city. The culture is holy. The inhabitants are holy. Uh, it is absolute holiness. And this is the new Jerusalem. Now, like I said, we're not going to get deep into the new Jerusalem today because next week is going to get deep into the new Jerusalem, as deep as the Lord allows us into what this city looks like. And he gives us a, a lot of descriptions uh, about this city. Uh, but today, we know this. We know that this is the, the third Jerusalem that we see. If you want to say it that way in the Bible, you've got the first Jerusalem that exists during this time. And I'm, I'm talking about from the foundation all the way to the return of Christ. So even, you know, you've got the first Jerusalem that exists in a sinful world that is God's city. It's called a holy city. Uh, you have the millennial Jerusalem where Christ reigns in Jerusalem. And that's a diff- very different Jerusalem than we have currently. But this one is going to be even distinct from that. This is the eternal, perfect Jerusalem that descends from heaven, that has been crafted by God and by Christ, we'll see. Um, and it is beyond description, even, even beyond the millennial kingdom that we already talked about, that will be unbelievable and amazing. This is the new Jerusalem. And it says that this new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. Um, it just, the, the word just means to descend, uh, to come down, to go down. Again, we see this over and over in the Bible. It's a very, very common verb, but... Uh, many times it describes things coming down from heaven, like the Spirit of God descending as a dove, uh, landing on Jesus at his baptism, or an angel of the Lord descending from heaven to roll away the stone uh, when, uh, when Christ uh, is resurrected. Um, and then also Jesus of himself uses the same thing to describe himself descending from heaven as the Son of Man to come the first time in his humility. So again, uh, the, the word is described of, of one coming down, and then he says where he came from. The origin of the city is heaven. He comes down out of heaven, um, and, in, and the originator, or the, the one uh, from whom it comes, uh, is God. This city, New Jerusalem, comes down, descends from heaven, and it is from God. Um, and we see uh, the Lord talk about this. Uh, we've already had a preview in Revelation 3, and we see it again very soon. Next week we'll talk about it again. But, but he talks about, this is for the church, he who overcomes, those who uh, persevere to the end, who are born again. He says, I'll make him a pillar and a temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. So Christ has already promised this to the churches as he talked about you know, their, their, their future promises that will come. And then next week we'll see Revelation 21.10, and we get into a description of the city. He says, he carried me away in spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And then he just starts talking about the beauty and, and the majesty of this city. Uh, but the point being is this city uh, is a real place. It's a real place where physical inhabitants will exist in it. It's not just some spiritual entity. Uh, and it is currently, right now, in heaven with God. And will descend and will be here on this earth uh, and I think we've seen glimpses of this before. Uh, it says it, it, it has been made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. We've already seen uh, the Lord talk about this before. In Matthew 25, when it says it was made ready, it means to be pre- pre- uh, prepared. Uh, and in Matthew 25, we see Jesus talking about this and in John 14. Um, and, and when we talk about the, 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 the judgment of the sheep and the goat, Matthew 25, it says the king, speaking of himself, speaking of Christ, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. So this is a kingdom that has been prepared by God for those who are children of God, who believe in God, the sheep in this metaphor. And then in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples in the upper room, in a very intimate situation, telling them where he's going and what he will be doing when he goes. And he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
for I go to prepare a place for you. That's it. He's talking about the new Jerusalem. This new Jerusalem is there. And he's telling his disciples, it's better if I go away, I'll send you my spirit. The whole church age is about to begin. But he's going to do a work. He goes, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Again, I think in this scripture, we're seeing this happen. They will be with him. He's preparing a place for them. And that place is now coming down to be here on earth where God will dwell with man. And we are seeing a glimpse of the place that he prepared. We're seeing a glimpse of the kingdom that has been prepared. This is the new Jerusalem that the Lord told us about. The author of Hebrews talks about it as well. Even talking about the faith of Abraham and the faith of all those who died without seeing the promises that God had proclaimed that he would fulfill. It talks about in Hebrews 11. He says, this is speaking specifically of Abraham. It says, He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And again, I think biblically, the best city whose architect and builder is God and whose foundations were laid by God is the new Jerusalem. This is what Abraham was looking forward to. God gave him land promises. God told him he would make a nation, many nations out of him. God told him many things. All the earth would be blessed by you. But there's, there's, Abraham was looking forward to what we're describing today. It goes on to talk about all those who have been martyred and died in faith without receiving the promises that God told them. And it says they, they collectively desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And these are some that saw the first Jerusalem. Okay, So it wasn't just that Abraham didn't get to experience Jerusalem. This has been David and, uh, and, and Elijah and many of those who saw Jerusalem. Uh, knew about the glory of God coming to the first temple. That was not, there was more to it. And it says they were looking for a heavenly country. There's only one heavenly country. There's only one heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. And it's the new Jerusalem that we're talking about today. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Again, I think the, the best biblical answer to all these things is we're talking about the new Jerusalem. Hebrews 12 again talks about, he says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the generally, general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And again, he's talking about the church here on earth, but he's saying, do you understand what you're a part of? I mean, yeah, you don't see it now. We're living in, you know, we're living as sojourners now, but we have inherited this. We have come into this. And there is a literal future that there will be a city that has been built by God, that has been prepared by Christ, that will descend a heavenly Jerusalem that will exist on earth. It's not just spiritual things. It's not just, yeah, there's a heavenly city up there, and one day we'll float up there and be a part of it. This is something that he has prepared that will descend and sit on this planet, and we will be with him forever. This is the future inheritance of the saints. This is what we look forward to. This is the amazing blessing of God that he has given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it will be perfect, and it will be on this new earth. Because the old earth could not contain this new city. This is a holy place. It has to have holy resonance. It must be on a holy planet. And that day is coming. That day is coming. It's wonderful. And he describes this city like a bride adorned. And the word there is is cosmeo. And I I say that because that's where we get our word cosmetics or cosmos. Both of which is funny because you think cosmos and cosmetics, what do they have to do with one another? But when it talks about the cosmos, the, 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 um, the, the universe and God making that, it's talking about his ordering of it and making it beautiful and making it perfect. And we talk about cosmetics. That's what we do. We decorate ourselves. We make ourselves beautiful cosmetics. And so when you talk about a bride adorned, it's talking about a bride made beautiful, made perfect, made ready, made it's ordered, it's perfect, it's holy, it's beautiful. We'll talk about it next week. But this is the perfect bride, the spotless bride of the Lamb. And I think that bride encompasses both the people, because that, that's, uh, we see that throughout Scripture. Ephesians 5, Revelation 19, talks about the church itself being sanctified and cleansed, uh, that Christ will present to himself, the church, in all of her glory, no spot, no wrinkle, any such thing. She will be holy and blameless. Again, that is both a uh, now and forever thing. We've been made spotless and blameless by the blood of Christ here, but we're still sinners. But one day we will return with him, and we will be totally spotless and blameless. And here you have all of the believers of all of the ages, all holy, spotless, blameless, white, perfect, the bride of Christ in the bridal city, if you want to say it that way. But the whole thing, it looks like, is his bride. And it descends and, and sits on this earth, uh, we in it together with him. And, uh, you know, Revelation 19 shows us the marriage of the Lamb. It says that his bride has made herself ready. Well, here God has made the bride ready. 
God has prepared, and here the bride comes. Um, and like I said, we'll talk more about this city next week, and it is wonderful, wonderful stuff. So all that being said, that's the new city. It's a holy city. It comes down from heaven. It's made ready as a bride, adorned, made perfect and ordered and beautiful for her husband by God. So again, this is just, and I heard someone say one time, I think it was MacArthur. It's been a long time. I didn't write it down. But we, you know, we talk about our, our salvation a lot of times. We talk about how the Lord loves us and sent his son to die for us, right? Which is 100% true. And, and he loved us before we first loved him. And, and, and all that was because of his love for us. But it's a way bigger love story, if you want to say it that way. Even our salvation and the whole church and all this and, and us being perfected and made perfect by him is because he loves his son. And we are the bride. And he prepares us for his son because he loves his son. We're just a piece, a glimpse, a little bitty piece of that love. And so what's wonderful about that is you see your salvation is not about you. It's about Christ. And your transformation isn't even about you. It's about Christ. You being sanctified, made holy, isn't about you. It's about Christ. God loves his son so much that he's willing to transform a bunch of pagan, dirty, ugly sinners who it's impossible to make holy to create a bride ready for his son who will be his brethren for all eternity. That's the story that we're a part of. It has nothing in that sense to do with you. Nothing to do with your works. Nothing to do with anything. But it does have everything to do with us in another sense, right? That he did love us and sacrificed himself for us. It makes each of us individually holy, like his son, because he loves us. So I don't want to dismiss that, but it's not the main part of the story. The main story is God loves his son, and the son loves the father, and we just are wrapped up in that, and that's awesome. So I think here you're seeing the big, big, big picture uh, in the new city. Next, we have the new communion. This is wonderful. These words are, are wonderful for anyone who longs for the day to be together with God. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he d- will dwell with the, among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Here we have the loud voice from the throne. We've seen this loud voice over and over in Revelation. 21 times, this is the 21st time, there has been a loud voice. And when there's a loud voice, it's always declaring something from God. It's not always God himself speaking, but it's declaring either judgment or blessings or things to come. Most of the time in Revelation, it's one of the angels declaring with a loud voice. Uh, Many times it's the myriads of people and the hosts around the throne declaring in a loud voice. There are times where God, it looks like it's God himself speaking from his throne or Jesus Christ speaking. Um, so it does not tell us who this loud voice is, whether it's God or not. God does speak in these verses. Very clearly, some of the things said are God himself. But here we just have a loud voice from the throne announcing something. And the announcement is the tabernacle of God is among men. Behold just means pay attention. Look very closely. This is, this is, this is the, the, the crux and the, the main point. The tabernacle of God is among men. And uh, when it talks about tabernacle... Uh, the, the word, the verb of this word just means to encamp, to live, to dwell, to shelter. So the, the dwelling place of God, the shelter of God, uh, where God lives, the place where God exists is now among men. Now, again, God exists with us now. The Spirit of God dwells within our hearts. God is at all places at all times. It's not like that's unique. What's unique here is the central dwelling place of God, the holy place, is now here with us. And again, you have a glimpse in the Old Testament and the New Testament, of what this means, uh, which is different than what we say when we talk about the sovereignty of God or the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Um, In the Old Testament, you see the glory of God filling the temple and the Holy of Holies, and God saying, I will dwell with the people of Israel. You see that in the tabernacle, you see that in the temple, but even there, there's a there's a veil, there's a, there's a boundary, but God does dwell with them. But even with the Israelites, they send immediately, Exodus 32, with the golden calf and all that stuff, and he dwells outside the, uh, the, 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 the gathering of them and all of that. Um, and then you see Christ, you know, Christ is God with us, that the person of Jesus Christ dwelt among us, and, uh, and that was God himself. Actually, that's a good uh, reference in John 1.14, where John says, the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus Christ. And dwelt, it's the same word there, uh, tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory, 
Uh, Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, I think he's talking both about Christ and his humanity and the transfiguration. We saw God dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ in a very unique way. Uh, the only other comparable way would be talking about the, the, holy, or the glory of God filling the Holy of Holies, both in the tabernacle and in the temple, but that disappeared in Ezekiel 11. So the glory of God outside of the person of Christ has not existed on this earth in a long time. But here, God will tabernacle together with us again. Uh, the millennial temple, Christ came. The glory of God fills the millennial temple. Christ is with us on earth during the millennium. Uh, but here, you have a holy planet. You have holy people. All things are holy. And holy God comes and descends and dwells amongst us in a unique way. The only comparable thing I think we can see to that is, again, Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, but we don't see much in Genesis 1 and 2 about that. But God will tabernacle. God will dwell. God will live together with us. Um, and uh, Revelation seven thirteen and fifteen talk about this as well. It says, uh, "For this reason, they are before the throne of God. These are the millennial or the the tribulation saints. They will serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. So He's there with them, dwelling with them, uh, 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 in their presence." Revelation thirteen six uh, speaking of the Antichrist, but it says, the "Antichrist opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme His name." And his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. So there you have a definition of the tabernacle. It's, uh, those who dwell in heaven together with him, it's, it's him with his people. And then Revelation 15, 5, it says, After these things I looked, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. Um, and this is right before you see the beginning of, of the, the final judgments of God. But the point of all of this is to say... That that God who is up in heaven pouring out these judgments and up in heaven together with his saints at this time will now come with his city and God will dwell with us here on earth forever. No more sin, no more separation. Uh, it will be wonderful. And it says that he will dwell among them. Uh, he will dwell among them. Uh, and it says, and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And again, this is... Uh, and, and it actually uses a neat word for peoples here, too, because it talks about Israel as being his people often. But here it's plural, and I think it's just talking about all the nations. They're all his people, all of us. Uh, all those who are there on earth with him are his collective people. All is one, and God himself will be among them permanently, never to be separated by sin again. Uh, you know, again, some of these things that we talk about is our standard of living or the things that we're striving for or hoping for or longing for to be in heaven, like being holy. You know, you be holy for I am holy. Uh, like that's, it actually is happening. We will be holy just as he is holy and we will all be together with him. Some of the stuff in John 17, actually I wrote a couple of these down, uh, but I was going to say God will be immediately present with us. He will be permanently present with us. We will live amongst him. He will be with us and there will be a unity and a oneness in a way that none of us have ever understood. Revelation 21, 7 uh, we're going to talk about this in a second. He who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be as God. He will be my son. Again, we already know that. We already talk about our adoption into the family of God as children of God by the blood of Christ and all that. But we will be there with him. He will be our father. We will be his children. That's one of the promises. Revelation 3.12, again, that um, those who overcome, that's all believers. They'll be a pillar in the temple of God. They'll be part of, of his, his temple tabernacle presence. Uh, I can't even explain exactly what that means. He will not go out from it anymore. There's no more separation going in and out of the temple to, to visit God. And no, I mean, there's some sort of permanence there with him. Uh, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God uh, and my new name, Christ says. So again, there is this, this oneness, this allegiance. And I think, in my opinion, one of the best places to kind of see uh, what this, and actually look at this one, uh, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. Goodness, what does that mean? But that's part of this, this unity that we'll have together as we he tabernacles with us and we're with him. John 17. Again, the, John 17, the whole chapter is one of those things where we can understand it. We can explain it. It's very clearly written and we can comprehend it. And it is all beyond our comprehension. There's so many things in there that's like, what in the world does that mean? And I think some of this stuff that Jesus is telling the disciples about, that they were probably just like, what? You know, like, I mean, like we are. Uh, <laughs> is talking about this time. Look at, look at some of the stuff he says, because you tell me if you can comprehend this. He says, they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. Now, again, you're like, well, you know, Spirit of God's in us, and we're, you know, Christ trans... Yeah, and that's all true, but that's the best we can explain it this side of heaven. 
I just think there's more to this verse that we'll understand in the new heavens and the new earth. That, that just as Christ is in God and God is in Christ, that we will be in them and they in us. And there's just this, again, you know, people talk about the new heavens and the new earth being the consummation of the marriage, the oneness of the people of God together with God for all eternity. No more separation, and we are fully married to God. And that's a good uh, metaphor terminology from our point. But again, I think this is some of that stuff. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Christ gives us his glory, the glory that God gave, the, the Father gave to the Son, the Son gives to us. I mean, I haven't seen that in my life, and I don't understand what that means outside of salvation and sanctification and then the future transformation, but there's, there's something to that. And again, I don't think we need to go too far and try to figure that out. I think this stuff is a mystery until we're a part of it. He says, um, but he, he's given us his glory that they may be one, speaking to all the collective saints, just as we are one. I mean, think about the trinity of God, the oneness of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one, that we will be one just as they are one. Again, you can be like, he just means unity. You know, unity even with diversity. And it's like, that's the best that we can explain it. But I'm just telling you, there's probably more to this, that one day when we're sitting on the new earth, we'll be like, huh, you remember when he said that? This is it, <laughs> you know? Uh, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So I'm just going to leave that one hanging, and you can, again, wrestle with that one. Um, and I think this stuff is wrapped up, like 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjects all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Again, this is just saying, when all the enemies, including death and sin and all that, have been put under the feet of Christ, and Christ is the ruler and has complete victory, then he will hand all things over to his Father, so he is all in all. And again, that's that big picture big story thing that we are just a little piece of. Um, And again, we're just talking about big things that are just really, I think, beyond our understanding outside of what's been revealed. And so you just take this stuff and you go, here's what he said. And be there. Repent of sin. Leave this life behind. Forget whatever it is you think is so important here that you would be willing to trade this for that and be a part of this together with Christ. This is what he has done through his sacrifice for our sins. So that is... Uh, the, new, the, the new creation, the new city, uh, the new, I forgot what the last C was, uh, communion. And then let's look at the new conditions, all right? So here we got this, we're together with God. Uh, the holy city has come down. We are holy together with him. You got a new heavens, new earth. And then look at these. This is, this is wonderful. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. These are the conditions of the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And, and, and uh, one of the things I noticed, all off, I, I saw this and I thought this was funny. And everybody points it out. Everything's in the negative. It's all in the negative here because we probably don't comprehend the positive. And the best way for us to understand it is all these things won't be there. It, it, it will be the opposite of what we know now. Um, and that's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, a couple of quotes I thought were good. Robert Thomas in his commentary says, The negative description of the future conditions, in a sense, is easier because finite humans accustomed only to the old earth, ravaged by sin, are void of experience in an ideal environment such as the new creation will be. These new conditions exceed present powers of conception. Again, everything we, we know, we filter through a sinful world. Even when we talk about holiness, we can only understand holiness with the presence of sin. Even when we talk about heaven, we only understand heaven as much as we can understand it in our sinful, finite minds. But he's given us truth that allows us to comprehend it. But there's no telling what the positives will be. That, that If he said the words, we'd be like, what? You know, it'd be like a foreign language to us. And so he says it in the negatives so that we can understand all these things that you long for one day to be gone, they're all gone. That's the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, this is Henry Morris. I love how he writes just because he kind of uh, develops things in a way that, I don't know, resonates with me and helps me to kind of see what God's saying. But he says it this way. He says, this is nothing less than a removal of the great curse. That's a good way to say it. Pronounced by God on earth and its inhabitants when Adam sinned. Its physical effects... On the ground have been cleansed when the elements melted and the new earth arose from the ashes. Now is pronounced also the deliverance of all mankind from its fourfold impact on human life. In Eden, God had announced that men would universally experience sorrow, pain, sweat, and death. 
but now he announces that these things will be no more. I thought that was a really good way to sum it up. In all the world and throughout all the ages, no one will ever die again. No one will suffer pain or sorrow or tears ever again. And death is swallowed up in victory. Like the first heaven and the first earth, all these former things have passed away. Again, that's just a good way to say it. It says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Actually, this is, so this is tears resulting in everything that brings tears. Grief, pain, regret, sin, all the things that come in this life. The old conditions are gone. And I love how he says he will wipe away every tear, singular, from their eyes, plural. Every, I mean, again, you see the individuality of every tear. No more tears in the collective eyes of all the children. There is no more sorrow ever again. Not a single condition, not a single thing. Every individual tear from the collective eyes of all the saints will be gone for all eternity. There will no longer be any death. Again, like Henry Morris is saying here, he's taking uh, Isaiah 25, Hosea 13, 1 Corinthians 15, and he's saying this is done. What he promised is not just Christ's victory on the cross. This is an actual thing that will actually happen, and death will be gone forever. In Isaiah 25, and again, speaking of the end times, it says he will swallow up death for all time. Literally. Again, this is not just a Christ died for our sins thing. This is he will swallow up death for all time. It will not exist. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. That is exactly what John is seeing here in Revelation. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is what we'll be saying. This is what we've waited for. This is what you're longing for now. And then in our glorified state, we'll say, This is it. This is what we have waited for. Hosea 13, same same idea, same stuff. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. The idea here is the redemption of Israel. And basically there will come a day where he will redeem his people and there will be no more death. And then Paul quotes this in 1 Corinthians talking about the very end. And this is the end, the consummation of all things. And he says, when the perishable has put on the imperishable, the mortal will put on immortality. And then will come about the saying that is written, what Hosea said. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory presently through what he did on the cross. Victory presently through our redemption here today. That the Spirit of God fills us. That we're born again. That we're made children of God. And victory eternally on the day that we're talking about in Revelation 21 right here. Where death is no more. And there is eternal life together with Jesus Christ. And again, like I said, John 17, I think, uh, has a lot of, of gold in it that refers to this time. He says, no longer be any mourning or any crying. Um, again, you see a fulfillment of what Christ says. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted forever. There is no more mourning. And those who mourn over their sin and mourn over the conditions now and mourn over the suffering now and desire to be with Christ and to see this day, this is the day of comfort forever. Matthew 9.15, where Jesus talks and he says, the, you know, the, 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 I think it's the disciples of John the Baptist come to him and say, why don't you, your disciples fast? And he's like, because I'm with them. <laughs> why would they fast? I'm with them right now. The king is here. I'm the, the bridegroom. He says, he says uh, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? And the answer is, I, and he says, I'll, I'll go, and they will fast, and they will mourn. But, again, I think that's a, just a preview of uh, there's going to come a day where we're with him. There is no more mourning. There's no reason to mourn. There's no possibility of mourning or crying anymore because we're with him. We're with him forever. And that's a wonderful thing. And he says, the first things have passed away. Um, so the reason uh, for death, sorrow, crying, pain are all gone. The curse is finished. It is over. And again, that's what I was saying with the Romans 18 stuff. Uh, Romans 18 talks about this. The, the, you know, this is what I think Paul is looking forward to this day, and that's how he's saying. The, I consider the present sufferings or the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. That's what he's saying. Yes, it is hard here. It is painful. It is, there's, there are awful things here. There's mourning and death and crying and sorrow and disease and sickness and deceit and, 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 um, and, uh, and uh, rebellion and just a lot of awful things. 
But all these present sufferings are, are not even worthy to be compared to, to this, to what we're talking about today, to the glory that will be revealed, to the, to the annihilation of sin and the perfection of all things that Christ will do. And then that's when he says, the ancient law and creation waits eagerly. Creation itself will be set free from the slavery. Uh, the children of God will come. And he says, I, I cut this off earlier, but he says, not only this, but we ourselves groan. Having the first fruits of the Spirit, we taste it. We've tasted heaven if the Spirit of God is within us. He says, uh, but we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Um, and that, that's what we're talking about here today. Again, you see this in the millennial kingdom, but then you see it completely fulfilled in the eternal kingdom of God. We long for this day. The children of God long for this day. We cannot wait for this day. Uh, we groan within ourselves, longing for the day that I don't have to fight my sin anymore. I don't have to, to discern the, you know, the depths of my heart anymore. I don't have to, 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 to watch friends betray me anymore and to watch people around me uh, uh, turn away from Christ and run towards hell. I don't have to watch. I mean, do you just think of all the sorrow and all the sadness and all the pain that this life affords? And it's, it's a painful, agonizing life because of sin. But there will be a day where that will not exist. And there will be no more pain, sorrow, death, crying. Christ will be there and God will be all in all. And it will be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then he says, behold, I am making all things new. And again, this is what we've already talked about. He's making all things right, fresh, anew. Uh, Henry Morris says it this way. Presumably this means not only that everything will be made new, but also that everything will then stay new. That's cool. It's not just made new, it stays new. The entropy law will be repealed. Nothing will wear out or decay, and no one will age or atrophy anymore. Amen. <laughs> All things will be and remain eternally young and fresh and new and just as they were in the week of creation itself. Again, we can't comprehend that outside of just language saying it and going, man, what will that be like? But all things will be new and they will forever be new and nothing will ever become old again, if you want to say it that way. And he says, write for these words are faithful and true. John is commanded to write these words down. Uh, and God himself puts his stamp of faithfulness and truth to them, which is a guarantee that these things will happen exactly like he said they will happen. It's just a matter of timing. It's all up to his preference. But they will happen. So, again, like I said, on the negative, repent, believe, follow him. Why tra- I mean, what, what would you forfeit your soul for in this world? But then on the positives, for the Christians, hang on. Cling to him. Stay close to him. This, he will make all things new. And he says, it is done. It's the completion of all that's been revealed. Everything has been accomplished at this point, if you want to say it that way. The redemptive plan of God revealed in Scripture is concluded. It is done. Creation has been redeemed. All of His children have been redeemed. Sin is gone. Death is gone. It is finished. What Christ said on the cross is 100% true. He finished the work that He had come to do. But there is work to be done, and here it will be finished. And it is complete. And again, some of those verses I said at the beginning where Christ says, not, a, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. This is the day. It is accomplished. And then he says, just to solidify it with his own character and name, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the author. He's the beginning. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's just saying, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. And then he says it, I am the beginning, I am the end. And uh, the Lord, Christ takes this title. God takes this title in scriptures. Both titles emphasize God's absolute sovereign control over all things. He's the author. He's the sustainer. He's the completer. He is in control of all things. And his words are faithful and true. God began history. God will end history. God will begin eternity, if you want to say it in those terms. His sovereign control over everything. Uh, This is actually a quote by Robert Thomas that I didn't put up there. But it says, His sovereign control over everything, His eternal nature, guarantee his complete trustworthiness and faithfulness and the truthfulness of his words that he has spoken. What he starts, he is able to complete. He is the unchangeable one by whom the old was and the new shall be. That's just a a really great way to say it. So God will complete all these things. Um, Let me, uh, we're going to breeze through this one. Uh, and I might have to pick up on this one next week. <laughs> uh, is it the new citizens. Let's, let's look at this real quick, and then, like I said, I mean, um, I, I, I want to complete the thought. I don't want to leave us hanging right here, but we might need to un, unpack some of this next week. So he says at the very end, 
I will give to the one who thirsts the springs of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then there's the warning. But the cowardly, unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and liar, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Basically, he gives us a description of those who will be on this earth, and he gives us a description of those who will not be a part of this. And so there's, there's blessing and wonder and there's, there's warning and terror in these last basically two and a half verses. He says those who thirst for God, and those, those are the two kind of things. If you look at it, the one who thirsts and he who overcomes, they will be a part of this. Does that make sense? So what does it mean to thirst and what does it mean to overcome? Um, first, the, you know, when it talks about the one who thirsts uh, will drink from the spring of the waters of life without cost or I will give him uh, the springs of water. This is something we've seen throughout Scripture. Psalms talks about this. Just the, it's talking about the soul that thirsts for God, the soul that longs for God, the one that thirsts for righteousness and thirsts for holiness. And there's a longing within you that desires Christ, and you desire to be with him, and you desire these things. You will be refreshed from the springs of the water of life. Uh, we see this whole springs of water of life throughout Scripture. Uh, in Revelation 7, it says the Lamb of the center of the throne will be their shepherd and, I, and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. Again, speaking specifically of this time, but also talking about himself. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah 2 and 17, Yahweh God himself calls himself the fountain of the water, of, of living water or the water of life. In John 4 and in John 7, Jesus refers to himself as the water of life or the one that gives the water of life. He talked to the Samaritan woman in John 14, uh, you know, using water as an analogy or metaphor and saying, you know, this water, you'll still be thirsty. But he says, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst again. Again, talking of the spirit, talking about what he does here uh, by uh, salvation, transformation, but perfectly here in, in Revelation. He says, the water that I will give him will become in him a well of, of water springing up to eternal life. Uh, and then, yeah, the Feast of that, uh, the Tabernacles in John 7, verse 37 to 38, this is six months before he goes to the cross. It says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow the rivers of living water. And again, there, I think he's... In the near context, quoting from Ezekiel 36, which is talking about the new covenant, him giving the spirit of God and washing his people clean from their sins. But here we see the eternal piece of this where we will forever be with the one who is the water of life and gives the water of life. Um, And uh, that is one of the promises. And the other promise, he says, to him who overcomes, he will inherit all these things. And again, this, this overcomer, theme. Uh, you see this in First John, and you've already seen it in Revelation. Those who, uh, those who, like we just saw, believe in Jesus Christ will, the, will have the living water. And in John, you see those who believe in Jesus Christ are the overcomers. It says, whoever believes in Jesus Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know the love of the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. You want to know you belong to him? You want to know that you are a child of God? Love him and obey him. Submit to him, follow him, and love one another. Uh, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and commandments are not burdensome. Look what he says. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's a promise. If you are born of God, you will overcome the world. All of us will persevere in Christ. And this is the victory uh, that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The overcomers are those who believe. The overcomers are those who belong to him. The overcomers are those who have been born of God, have the spirit of Christ within them, have been washed clean with the blood of Christ, and they are his. And in Revelation, we saw many promises to the overcomers. And here you're seeing it displayed, but, but look at this. There's seven promises here to the churches But he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat the tree of life in the paradise of God. To he who overcomes, he will not be hurt by the second death. To him who overcomes, I will give him the hidden manna. I will uh, give him a white stone, a new name on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. To he who overcomes, keeps my deeds. To him, I will give authority over the nations. To he who overcomes, he'll be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father. To he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out. 
from it anymore. I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. What is his new name? To he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on, the, on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's a, that's a crazy promise. And here in Revelation, to he who overcomes, uh, I, he will inherit these things. All these things we're talking about. This is the inheritance of the overcomer. And he says, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Again, we've seen this throughout scripture as the children of God, Hebrews 2.11, that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call those who are sanctified his brethren. We are brethren of Christ because of what he has done for us on the cross. In Romans 8.16-17, that we are children of God and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And again, I mean, you read those words and you're just like, you know, we just think, oh yeah, well, you know, his, his inheritance is his and we share in that. And it's like, yeah, but have you thought about what that means? The Revelation 21 and 22 give you a glimpse of that. I always think of it like Mormonism has sold their people so short, right? Do all this stuff, we'll give you a planet. And God is like, like if you believe in Christ, you get it all. You can have all the planets and all the universe and all things together with me and my son. We will be one. Way better. So ditch Mormonism and get everything, you know? <laughs> so I just feel like... Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good sales pitch if you don't know the promises of God. But if you know what the scripture says, Mormonism is way low, low bar. Anyway, so all that being said, uh, the, the last part is a warning. And I'm going to leave it there today. But there are people that will not inherit this. That's terrifying. And if there's anything you walk away with, I mean, rejoice. I, don't, I want you to rejoice if you belong to him and you see all these things coming, all the blessings. But but do not forget that there are some in this room today, there are some in this church today, and there are many on this planet today that will never taste anything that we're talking about. And so examine your heart. Make sure that you are not an unbeliever, that you are not one that is a hypocrite that pretends to be one thing, but you're truly a liar in the end because all those people will be part of the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But we are out of time. So I'm gonna, I'll unpack that a little bit next week, but I didn't want to leave you leave you without at least, like I said, finishing the thought and finishing where we're at. But let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed.